Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Rowe. And I'm Nike Fajors. And welcome to The Invisible Men, where we make the achievements of incredible men invisible no more. Welcome to the latest episode of The Invisible Men. My name is Ian Rowe, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. I'm Nike Fajors, a member of the Leadership Network at AEI. Hey, Nike. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, and as our viewers know, we are like to uh, bring to our podcast amazing uh, men that our viewers may not um, may not have had a chance to get to know their work, and we're really inspired. Today, we have even more reason uh, to be inspired because uh, Scott Hilton Clark is joining us, and Scott. We all met you, me, and Nike. You met many years ago at Harvard Business School. Good to see you, man. Same here. Yes, we did. It seems like it seems like yesterday. It seems <laughs> like yesterday, and you're still looking good. You're still looking good and healthy. It's great. And oh, thank um, you. Yeah, and I love the way that you wanted us to uh, introduce you because you are in beautiful Trinidad right now. Yes, I am. And yes, you am. are the champion of people and their dreams. And I, so I can't, I can't wait to hear uh, more about that. But before we go into the Scott Hilton Clark of today, um, just to step back a little um, from your early days, your early childhood, and were there any experiences that helped to form your worldview, especially, uh, you know, as a young black man, anything that was particularly poignant in those early days that just really helped shape your your view of the world? Well, Ian, thank you. Um, I guess the, 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 as you said that, the, the, the main event, I think, that really, really caused a shift in my perspective is I was, I was 16 years old and I, uh, I went to an all-boys Catholic school and uh, I was on a hockey team and we went on um, a field trip uh, to another island, to Barbados. And in that trip, we ended up in a fatal car crash where my, um, my teammate, Christian Akamlam, literally, um, we had switched seats literally like two minutes before, right? And, uh, and you know, so, so he died. I was in the hospital for, for, for a number of days, but... I think, and those days I didn't know about survivor's remorse and things like that. But I have to say that that um, I was left with with how precious life was. I was also kind of confused at that age. It's a lot to kind of take in, right? But it really, um, it really had a major impact. And then, you know, I actually remember making a vow at sixteen at that age that I would try to live a life. That was that was honorable for Christian, all right. And then, um, and then what happened was, uh, I then went to university, and you know, let's say we got on the escalator of life. I got a job, I uh, got married, I got divorced, right? And um, and literally, I'd almost kind of forgotten about the vow I'd made. I just got on with life and. I, I got a major, major con contract in, in, in Jamaica, actually, and was, the, as we say, living the life. And I was preparing um, for a presentation 
with the client that afternoon. And uh, I was looking for a quote and I found a quote. When I read it, I actually felt my body shudder. And the quote was, but by quote by Oliver Holmes, most of us go to our graves with our music still inside of us. And when I heard the quote, I almost felt a little ashamed because I realized I was living a very, very kind of material kind of life. And I had kind of forgotten about the vow I made to Christian. And I really got to confront that I wasn't that fulfilled. I wasn't truly, truly fulfilled. And so long, long story to really say that this idea of, of living life to the fullest and doing something meaningful is really what uh, my journey has been since I left business school uh, and looking for clues. So long answer to a short question, but- No, uh, that's, that's very powerful. And so the music, wow, that most people die with the music still inside them. What, what do you think that is for you? And, and is it now on your outside? Are you, are you playing it in a way that you thought you, you were suppressing it before? Yeah, most definitely. I think, you know, when you, when, when, when you, when you get a job and you're in, the, in a corporate environment, there's a, you show up to really do a good job and do what there is to get done. And for many of us, we definitely not, we're not really living our music, all right? But what I started to do was to pay attention to, where, to, to places where um, I was feeling some passion. So for example, I get put into a consulting project and I'll end up talking to the CEO about uh, his issues with his marriage and how to get some more work-life balance. And then I'll have to then, you know, and I enjoyed those conversations because I felt they made a difference. And then I'll end up rushing to get my analysis done on the spreadsheet, which was always, <laughs> always mediocre, right? So I, I had to then learn to just own more and more that, um, that there's a space to be more in the realm of, of coaching, advising, supporting. And I've now really built a business uh, called Inspiration Labs. It's really about helping people cultivate, cultivate their greatness. Wow, cultivate their greatness. And, the, and, just, and just again for our viewers, just a little bit more backstory. Where were you raised? So I was raised in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, uh, in, a, in, a, in one of the villages called Point Fortin. And, uh, and from there, I, uh, I, I moved to the States. I went, I, went to, I went to St. Mary's College, which is the high school where I met Javis, and Javis began my, uh, you know, we began our friendship. We became best friends even from high school. And that's a story in itself as to how we became best friends. But, but, uh, but let's just say Javis' family was the equivalent of Netflix back in, uh, it, was, it was very entertaining back, back in, you know, <laughs> back in our time, right? Yes. Uh, and from there, uh, ended up at NYU. Uh, and was that a big so you, culture shock when you came to the United States? Oh my goodness! It was a, it was a major culture shock, right? Because remember, back then you're looking at universities through brochures, right? <laughs> and uh, I had this concept that, it, that when I thought of a university, you think of a lovely lawn, students in the grass, 
And when, <laughs> when I got to NYU, and in those times it was the punk era, and Washington Square Park was really about, it was really all for drugs, right? And CBD uh, so was just down the street. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was a complete culture shock. But the older I got, get, I realized that that was the real education. That was the real education, right? I sat I, in my first English class, talk about biases. I sat next to a guy, and it's the first time I saw, like, complete tattoo, complete mohawk, double layering, piercing. I mean, I'm, I'm just off the boat from Trinidad, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking in class, I'm holding on to my wallet, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then the, then the guy speaks. And again, it, it, it was just so shocking, so eloquent. It was so, he blew my mind. And he was, he was, the, top of the, he was the top of the class. So it was very early, I got, I got a really powerful lesson on kind of my own biases. And, and that's, that's actually the beauty of New York, actually, when you, when you think about it, at a fundamental level. But it was a good, 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 uh, good grounding for what was next. And just one point for our, for our viewers. So Gervais was, a, was our fourth guest back in September. Uh, and so Scott was referencing that he and Gervais were best friends since high school. An important point to note is that Gervais's oldest child, his daughter, if I'm not mistaken, Scott, right, went to NYU as well. Correct, yes. <laughs> and that just, right. you were talking about your experience. I hadn't thought about that before then, which is probably not by coincidence. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and just like a thing, story, Ian, as, as you said that, in terms of what was next, I got a job at IBM in North Carolina. So talking about culture shocks, right? And uh, I remember my parents being so concerned because, again, you read the papers, you think of North Carolina, you don't think of that as a, as a, as a, as a place for your, your, you know, your black son to go to, right? Uh, but anyway, I ended up uh, and had a wonderful um, career at IBM that then got me into, into, in, in, into business school. So there was a very interesting incident that happened, um, happened in, North, in North Carolina that I just had to share. I think, I think it'd be, I think it'd be very interesting and you can kind of build on that. The, um, first of all, when I first, when I got my first job and they said to me within that I was going to get a performance review, I was shocked. I didn't, I thought school was finished. I did not expect to be reviewed <laughs> <laughs> at work, right? So anyway, being an A-type, I said, you know, well, I'm going to get the highest of whatever the thing card was. So, um, <clears throat> so it came back and I realized that the comments that I was outstanding and the mark was not the highest mark. It was the second highest mark. So I asked my boss, could I uh, kind of for the explanation? He said, well, you need to talk to my boss, right? And uh, so I, I, I can remember just like yesterday, I went into to this um, boss's name. Um, his name is right there. I won't say it. And um, I, he said, Scott, are you here to see me? I said, yeah, I wanted to kind of understand the difference between uh, my score and the weight. And he says, Scott, I want you to know that um, you're an excellent employee. In fact, you're quite outstanding. The only problem you have is that you, you walk around here as if you're a manager, but you're not, <laughs> right? And um, I didn't even know what to say. I just said, well, thank you. I just said, thank you. <laughs> and, 
and um, and uh, I actually then um, two weeks later applied to go to Bethesda, Maryland. And um, and and just to give the contrast in leadership, that's why I do a lot of work with leaders now. Is um, I got greeted by a woman called Laura Todd, middle-aged, very thin woman, white woman with big, big bright smile, and she welcomes me, and she says, Scott. And remember, this this would be nineteen. This is nineteen eighty-eight, nineteen eighty-nine. She says to me. I want you to know that I, as far as I'm concerned, you're outstanding. You're a professional. You can be in and out of the office. I don't even need to know where you are, right? I was so blown away by that gesture and those words because that was kind of unheard of in 1988. And in contrast to what I experienced in, um, in, in North Carolina. And what happened was, I just started to roam around the campus. Uh, I met a couple of people and I met a gentleman called Bill Jones in the finance department. And I'm literally just hanging out in his office. I'm doing my work, but I'm hanging out. And I find out they have a acute financial problem with, a, with, with writing off, you know, expenses versus that with some kind of accounting law. And I ended up putting them, I said, well, I think I could help with this. So I put them on to, I saw they had a similar problem in North Carolina. I put the two on, they solve this problem and they get, they get, they save millions of dollars, right? And I get started to get these laboratory awards, revision awards, right? And the point of the story was, what if she'd said, I want you to stay at your desk from eight to four, right? There's, there's a generosity she had. Mm -hmm. And I just wish more leaders could, could, could really look for the greatness in people when and employees that they have, you know, as, as, as a matter of course. So I'll pause and let you guys follow up with some other questions, but that, that's the story in a nutshell, the awards and things I've been to Harvard and, and, and the rest is history. <laughs> so I just wanted to, I wanted to go back to a point you made about survivor's remorse. And I wanted to get your perspective around survivor's remorse in the inner city. You know, as we look at young men, especially, um, who are in America's urban cities. They, they, they have friends that have been murdered. Um, it seems like every day, every week, there's another shooting, another stabbing, another something. And I'm not sure much has been done about the mental health of these young boys who oftentimes don't even have a, a father or, or a productive father figure to, uh, to grow with. And I know your practice is in corporate CEO, you know, but how do you think about those young people, you know, who, 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 God, I mean, if you think about what's on their shoulders, it's really remarkable if any of them become much. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, you know, as, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm kind of actually right there. And you know, what's, what's there for me is, is a couple of things. One, I couldn't even begin to imagine. I, I could imagine a little bit what it's like on a repeated basis, right? Uh, to be losing people in your in your brotherhood, in your community. And, and all I can imagine is there's a certain numbness mm. that that comes comes around, right? A numbness around possibility, a, num a numbness around um, um, being you know of, 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 of life, right? And 
you know, even though I, 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 I see myself as a champion of people's dreams, one thing I have to acknowledge uh, with, with some of my clients is dreaming is a privilege, <laughs> right? For some people. And there's sometimes a lot of work to do to awaken the muscle or the possibility to be able to dream, right? So it's a short, so what I would say is that the work to be done with those young, young men in those situations is almost, you know, literally trying to light a bit of a flame just to stir up what's possible, right? What, you know, what, what, uh, just, just for people to, and, 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 and that, that, that's no small task. Right, uh, but I'm just saying that it, so it begins with with the imagination and some small possibility, right? And that's why I believe I'm a strong believer in um, in Tiny Acts, um, James Clay's work on Atomic Habits, right? And also, there's a wonderful um, book um, called The Dark Horse. Not my thing here, but point being is. Once the imagination can begin to stir a little bit, um, if you can get them to to um, find something that begins to uh, that they can be that they have an interest in and begin to work on, I think that I think it I think then possibility is you're setting a you're setting a little track for possibility, right? But uh, but I think last thing I will say is everything is so contextual. Somebody would really need to understand the environment in ways to provoke new possibility again, right? Like that. So that's what comes to mind to me with that. But um, very, having very powerful. Yeah. I mean, your statement about um, dreams, you know, that, that it's a privilege to be able to dream. Or how, how did you how did you say it? Dreaming is what? Yeah, dreaming, dream, for, for some people, dreaming is a privilege. It's they a have privilege. So many, they have so many constraints, so many obstacles, so many non-negotiables. And yeah. I'll be honest, I'll give you an example. I had a, I had a, a, a class the other day and uh, there was a single mother who, um, without much support, um, and it, this idea of, of, of looking to find one's music, you know, that's just kind of not on the table. There's a place where she needs to even get some space, <laughs> right? If she can just get 10 minutes for herself uh, with a cup of coffee, you know, that's, that's the best she can do and then she has to see how she can build on that for example but it's the same kind of analogy as to what's the equivalent of that for for those young men you know you know ian i want to tap into your expertise for a minute and almost interview you what about that question that that dreams you know how do you and your environment as an educator ian help to allow children to have the opportunity to dream yeah it's such an important question i mean Dreaming is a privilege, but it's but it's uh, it's it's accessible to everyone, no matter how unprivileged you might think that you are. And uh, as someone who runs schools, it's it's crucial to allow young people to see beyond the physical uh, environment that they're in, beyond the experiences they may have had in their own lives. And just to be able to conceive uh, a different possibility, you know, um, that doesn't mean that their current environment is one that they have to feel that they have they have to escape, per se. Um, but you never want young people to think 
this is it, you know? And, uh, and oftentimes I do feel adults um, often feel like the, um, this is as good as it's going to get. If you remember, there was a film a few years ago with Jack Nicholson um, and there's a line in it where I think, the, I think he says, you know, this is life, this is as good as it's going to get. And then he met someone and he says, you know, you made me want to be a better man. Um, and so, yeah, with young people and adults, you, you've got you've to stretch boundaries. I mean, I, I just, I, I listened to the, the CEO of Pfizer uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the fact that he, you know, Pfizer is this company challenged with this question of a vaccine. You know, we're in the midst of this pandemic where literally 4 million people have died and it normally takes 10 years to develop a vaccine. So he's trying to think about this problem. He said, you know, he could have told his team, you know, get this done in eight years because that would at least be somewhat close to their general framework, right? But we didn't have eight years. So he said he went to his team and said, you know what, guys, we can't do this in 10 years. You don't have eight years. You have eight months. And what's interesting about what he said is that that framing of the problem broke the framework that they always used. It, it blew up anything that they had to do before. So they had to start with a completely different slate, a completely different vision for how they were going to solve this incredible problem. And they did it. You know? and, and it's just fascinating. He said, you know, he, he quoted Aristotle. He said, our problem is not that we aim too high and miss. It's that we aim too low and hit. Really profound, really profound. So the, wow. key, the key of allowing dreams to really happen is to help people think about their own lives. How can I aim high, right? How can I have the courage to pursue that thing that, that is, is my music, you know? Uh, even if I don't know it's my music, I want to. I have the courage to pursue it. So, um, you know, I could speak all day about how we try to uh, create this in schools. Um, but Ian, I just want to. I want to build on what you're saying. It's just, it's just, just so wonderful what you just said there, and I just, I'm so excited on a number of levels, right? Because as I, as I do a lot of executive coaching, I see a lot of parallels with students. Because one of the people on my team is a is a teacher, right? And there's, there's a lot of parallels going on there. But you said something really just now when you talked about the courage to dream. And um, I just have to get more, more perspective, even from you, Nike. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? I think in finding that courage sometimes, regardless of courage or, 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 or confidence, to be able to know that I can dream. And, um, and I love the Pfizer analogy and to dream at a whole nother level. Right, so that to me is is exciting, and I'm interested um, a little more because I think that we want to kind of accelerate that for our kids. Yeah. So I know it's not. A, I know it's, it's, I'm just gonna at some level because I don't on this show, whatever. But I'd love to hear your perspective on how you're thinking that for 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 the schools and and that population because we have to figure it out for for us here in the Caribbean as well, right? Well, one of, one of the things that's always helpful is to have big goals that allow people to come together in ways that transcend 
the divisions that we often find ourselves in, right? So right now, for example, in our country, we're very divided by race, very divided by class. And you think back it, at what moments in our at what moments in our country did we really come together? And oftentimes we think about the moonshot, right? We think about John F. Kennedy setting this this goal of we must send a man to the moon and return him safely to earth. And everyone came together around this goal. It didn't matter, race, religion, whatever. And we often think that that's the last time we had that big moonshot goal. In fact, moonshot has become a term because we, we feel like we haven't had similar. And yet we're, we have the, some of the extraordinary breakthroughs we've had even in the last year, you talk about not only Pfizer, we've got, I mean, some people don't like it, but we've got billionaires flying the space. We've got uh, flying cars that are, uh, uh, that are now uh, in production. And so I think part of the way you lift, you take the ceiling off of people's brains is that you really accentuate what is possible. You know, you have greatness within you. And I think that's one of the biggest things, Scott, which is, helping people understand that they actually do have greatness within them. That's sometimes the, uh, that's sometimes the, the, the scariest thing for someone to realize. I have greatness within me. You know, do I have the courage to find it? No, great. And, and I just want to say that that's, that's a big part of what a lot of the work that I'm doing in helping people find their greatness within. And um, as you said it, a lot of fears, lots of things come up in that, right? And um, and uh, the, the, the sad part for me is when I ask the question, you know, tell me, tell me about the, the, the best teacher, you know, who's the best teacher you ever had, right? And and oftentimes, most people can at least immediately name one, right? And when I say, tell me about the person, tell me what made them. And it, was, it wasn't the technical thing that the, that the teacher taught. It was, they made them feel special. They made them feel that there was something within them that was there, right? They only, I could almost say that they saw their music, in a sense, right? And, and... And the sad part of the story for me is that they probably haven't seen that teacher in 15 years, right? Or 30 years. It's, it's a thing of the past. Yep. And not many other people have shown up, right? And, I, in, and in my executive seminars, I, I do this with, with, you know, with leaders to say, look, um, people remember that teacher from 30 years ago, 25 years ago. What would it be like to have a leadership life where you remembered like that? Right. And you see, I remember Laura Todd, right? Laura Todd saw something and treated me special that I was unaccustomed to. And I worked harder than I ever worked in my life. Because I, I what she saw in me, right? And that and the other thing was just a bonus, right? So so there's something there um you know that 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 that's really speaking to me. So I'll I'll pause and uh let you ask some more questions. But really, really powerful conversation. Well, you know, Scott, I, re I reflect back on some of our guests when you ask the question, how do you create that that spark, that spirit? You know, one guest who, you know, hasn't gotten a lot of views, and it was an interesting conversation, but one I'll never forget was a, a gentleman named Chris Campbell. Uh, he was the, He's a world champion wrestler, but his origin story, no father. His mother wouldn't let him wrestle 
So he would travel, and I don't remember exactly, but he would travel literally like an hour and 30 minutes to a gym where only men wrestled when he was like a sophomore in high school. And he wrestled for two seasons just with these men. And then his mother finally let him wrestle, I think, his senior year. And the rest is history. He became a world champion. But Ian and I both asked Chris, you know, what was it that got you on that bus every day to travel for 90 minutes to do this thing that somehow resonated with you? And, you know, Frank, he really didn't, he couldn't answer the question other than that's just how I'm wired. But I, I think I said even during that podcast, boy, if we could bottle that in some kind of a way, uh, you know, not not, figu- not literally, but figuratively, that would be exceptional. I think that's the work that you do with CEOs. That's the work that Ian does with with students and, and teachers in, in terms of trying to create that, that energy and that spirit. Mm-hmm. Because the sky's the limit. Once you have it, world championship, CEO, world's greatest father, world's greatest husband. I mean, anything is possible once you have that that spirit. Yeah, I think that's that's a great example because I think that then so many so many people find their music in so many ways, right? This there was there was something that was calling this kid that was that he himself couldn't articulate, right? To, to, to get on that bus, right? Um, you know, Quincy Jones happened to be walking through um, a community center. I think they may have broken or whatever. Um, his, he saw something covered up and his fingers just tinkled on the ivory. And in that moment, he knew what he wanted to do, right? So some people, it's like that. Some people, it takes some kind of tragedy, some kind of situation, some kind of waking up to, right? And and then there's a number of people where because of, of the noise, they may, have, they may have had a sense of it when they were a kid or, or as they're growing up, but the noise in the school system to choose sciences over the arts or whatever, like what, you know, my father had me choose sciences. I, I wanted to do history and languages. Uh, and the sciences, right? There's so many people, you know, um, make these choices and therefore everything gets kind of numbed down and what makes it worse is they then end up, you know, they do, they do a degree and then they end up in a job um, with a degree that they don't like in the area they don't like and, and guess what? They get promoted with more responsibility <laughs> in, that, in that job and when they want to shift companies so they, they're kind of like in a trap, right? Um, but but there's a huge population with that point of you don't really know what it is because it's been kind of numbed out and 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 there's a and and some of the work I do is not to help people just uncover but to recover something because we have the signals and the signals show up in our lives at different points in time right and we might have a chance like you know there's something in woodworking class that that appear, you know, I never used to skip woodworking class like a, uh, one of my colleagues, Steve uh, Jacob said to me and um, and that was a signal for him and he ended up really getting to, into being a masterful woodworker, right, as a, as a side project. So that idea of bottling it, you know, for, for, for students for, and, and as Ian said, it's for leaders, for people in different chapters in their life to get a sense of that, I think that's 
that's really, really exciting if you can kind of accelerate. Because where I go is just imagine a world where everyone knew what made them great. That's just another, I mean, it's just a whole, and when people really get to see what makes them unique, they change forever like that. Wow. Do you think there's a, do you think that creates a, a social pressure? Um, e even the word great for some people, you know, it's just interesting how human beings operate. You know, we need high expectations, but sometimes people are intimidated by them. And so it's not clear how they can achieve that level of greatness for themselves. Yeah. So great. So excellent point. Great. So greatness and great is a, is a real, funny word, a trigger word, right? And you tend to think about, am I on the podium? <laughs> Did I make it to the podium or not? Correct. Right? Well, even and, the concept of the podium is one that there's only three slots on the podium, right? There are a lot of other people in the world. So not everyone can achieve that level of greatness, right? Like Simone Biles is, is you know, she's dealing with these issues, but she's, you know, won nearly 30 gold medals. And, you know, and so, there's got to be a, a sort of a more utilitarian um, view of this concept of greatness where it can become accessible to everyone, you know? Most definitely. And, I, and, 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 I, and the way that I like to frame it, you know, it's, you know, I love, uh, you know, Martin Luther's kind of uh, street sweeper quote, right? And I have a real live example of that. It was um, uh, my, my dad's 89. I, I got somebody who um, came over to her house. His house did the cleaning. And um, we hired Irene to come clean the house, right? My wife was there, you know, and, we, and Irene cleans this house in a way <laughs> that I was left inspired. <laughs> right. And she was joyful. Mm. She, she wouldn't stop cleaning. I was tired watching. <laughs> but the joy, you know, and, 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 and therefore, that was great. I was witnessing greatness. And, uh, you know, it, it sounds tight, but I'm telling you, it was, she polished the doors. This thing, she just, you know, I wouldn't, I'm, I don't think of polishing a door. She polished, you know, the doors, right? And um, it was just amazing, right? So there's a place where there's something that's there for us that's really within that music. And if you really, if you really have the courage, I'm back to that courage word again, or the confidence to, to live it, right? Um, that's the greatness I'm talking about, right? Uh, the problem is we oftentimes, you know, have a judgment about what we're called to do, right? So here I am as a, a big strategy consultant. I'm supposed to be able to love these analyses, right? But I love listening to people. Who's going to pay me just to listen? <laughs> Who's going to pay me to listen to people, right? right, right. <laughs> so, so eventually, I found my pathway where I can get paid to listening to people and making a difference, right? But, but it took... It took it took something because I felt I was judging it. It wasn't as as what it was supposed to look like, right? And I know when I talk to my HBS alum, 
you know exactly what I'm talking about in terms of what's expected. And, and, and not to mention, you know, going down the wrong tunnel of, of don't even compare yourself to, uh, to your peers because there's no cheese down, <laughs> down that tunnel at times, right? So, um, so, so basically that's, um, it, it, it is the question, Ian, that you're asking that, that I want to continue working on to really, to really see that there's greatness within. Yeah. Right, and I, I'd love to connect if you have other ideas, researcher working on that. But that, to me, is um, really my life's work at this point to to, to do that. That's yeah. really because I I know the import. I just know, and you know the importance. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think so. I'm thrilled that you two make that connection. That excites me to no end. Scott, we're going to move to what what uh, we call the speed round where I'll offer up um, a couple individuals, a couple philosophies, ideas, ask you to pick one and tell us why. So our favorite, uh, hopefully with our viewers, certainly with Ian and I, is Malcolm or Martin? I'd say Martin, but it, you know, it's a trick question, obviously, right? But uh, Martin, because I see myself in, in, in Martin, but if there's a revolution, uh, where change has to happen, you need, you need some Malcolm in the mix. Very fair. Uh, civil rights or economic development? I see civil rights as the, I have to, I'll go with that. I see civil rights as the foundation and the basis, a uh, solid foundation for economic development. And I believe that if that's not a solid, a solid, there'd be cracks in economic development down the road. And then based on your experience, because I know you've worn both these hats, uh, the entrepreneur or the corporate leader? <laughs> uh, the entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Um, I just, I, so, so for me, I, I, I love innovation. I love to support people around innovation. I know uh, a big thing for me is around confidence. And I know the first time I sold something that I created myself in software, the, the confidence, I couldn't describe it and expect how I felt. So that's really important, right? And then the older I get, I really understand the importance of having great people in corporate. It's really, really important to really make that difference. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Scott. All right. Well, Scott, you, you might remember from the time when we were at HPS when Nike and I joined forces on the original Invisible Man. And uh, we, you know, we did this because we thought people like you and me were invisible, especially to young black men, young black teenagers who may not see the Scott Hilton Clarks of the world, letting them know that they do have greatness within them. And so when we conceived this podcast, we said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, keep one element, which was this 16-year-old imaginary uh, young man called Daryl, who lives in forgotten USA, this fictitious city. But unfortunately, there are a lot of Daryls in the world. And we'd love, you know, for someone who works with a wide range of adults to find their music within, to, to know that they have greatness, that it can be achieved, what would it be, what would you say to a young Daryl to help him 
find his way to discover his music internally. And Daryl is 16? Daryl is 16. <laughs> 16. Wow, okay, great. Yes, I would, I would say to Daryl that find one thing that you that you have an interest in and simply learn more about it and get better in it every day. That's, that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing is as you, as you do that, be open, look for clues and other things that show up as interests that could in fact be, you know, your music. Right and and work on your self awareness. And um, I guess the last thing I'll say is that 16, 15, 14, we really we don't see our peculiarities as strengths. And I I would just love for him to own that whatever is peculiar about him now is truly what can make him unique, and will probably have a big play in his music. Wow, I love that. I love that. Yeah, your oddity is not to be is not to be uh, shamed at. It might be the thing. It might be your thing that makes you your unique contribution to the world. I like that. Yeah, it is. It is. I have a. I have a. Just um, you know, one joke to give you. When I was when I was going to that Catholic boys' school, when I would be going to school every morning, at that age, I had a. I had a very big nose. But I had the same nose I have now that I had at four years old, right? <laughs> so as I'm as I'm walking down, you know, the girls from the Catholic high school across the open the open the thing and they'll shout Beaky, Beaky, right? <laughs> as in Beak, right? So one day I'm in school and they say to me, I hear somebody over on over talking and they say, I think Scott's nose is bigger than Sullivan's. So I look over at Sullivan. Sullivan's nose is like this. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm being compared to Sullivan. And uh, so I, I rush up that afternoon. And it's the first time I put the parallel mirrors to kind of see my profile. And I was in shock. I was like, oh my God, my nose is, my nose is bigger than Sullivan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so the, 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 the point of the story is that, you know, I was always kind of self-conscious about that. And then over time, you know, luckily, luckily I grew into my nose, right? And, uh, and, every, and the, I guess the point is everybody has a nose to grow into. Uh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love, that is how we're going to end this. Everyone has their nose to grow into. It's true. It's true. Yeah, you know, greatness awaits you and, uh, and you can grow into it as well. It's beautiful. All right. Well, Scott, thank you, man. It's been so good to reconnect. Um, okay. Yes. And, and for all of our viewers, you know, if you want to see any of the episodes on The Invisible Men, you can go to www.invisible.men. Uh, Nike, always good to see you. And Scott, thanks for joining, man. We've got to have a reunion. we got to bring all of our HBS uh, buddies back together. Well, and I, and I do want to close with some remarks about Scott. You know, I was thinking about this before we got on. You know, I think about the most generous men in my life. Number one would be my late father, because I, I wouldn't be here without him. But 
You know, I struggled, Scott, to come up with someone other than you at number two. And I just want you and our viewers to know that, um, you know, what you're talking about and what you practice and what you do as a, as a professional is who you are as a human being. And I don't think I know another man more generous than you. And I'm just so appreciative of our friendship. I, you know, I was telling my son, who you know, I was telling him today, you know, I, I realize why these schools cost so much money because it's just, it's the only way that I can meet Ian and I can meet Scott. And so you have to pay for the privilege of meeting truly wonderful people. So I, I celebrate you, my brother, and appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. All right, appreciate guys. It. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching another episode of The Invisible Men. You can find other episodes at the AEI podcast channel on YouTube or the website invisible.men or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 